I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. I manhandle that little baby. Welcome in. It's football and other efforts. I'm your host, Michael Gillum. I am joined by Zach Lyons. And I almost said Michael Herndon. Oh, but you know man. what? I can't, I, can't, I can't do that. I like the girl on uh, Jurassic Park. He left us. He left us. So, yeah, that's the end of my introduction. It feels weird. We're just going to have to figure that out. Well, hey, listen, we're this is football and other F words, you know, F words. Today's F word. We'll bring it back. Today's F word will be F boy, F bye, because goodbye to Mike. Not that necessarily he was an F-boy, but I just want to throw that out there. As oh, many wanna... F-boy island references we could fit into an episode, I'm in. That's, ex- that's exactly what I want to put out there. If if you have not watched or are not aware of it, HBO has a show called F- F-boy island. And uh, let me tell you, it's, it's a delight. It, it, <laughs> it really is. is. And what's funny is, I, I guess you were watching it and you weren't really telling anybody you were watching it. And then I come in and I say that I'm watching it. And it's awesome. Then you say, oh, yeah, it's really good. You you were like waiting on someone else in the group chat. <laughs> oh, and then it has inf- it has absolutely infested the group chat. And <laughs> it is it is amazing to because we finished it. And then Graver, Justin Graver, Titans Film Room and Greenlaw kind of caught up to us. And then they finished it. And then we got to watch Ryan Watson, Ryan on Broadway, his reaction to everything that we've already witnessed. And now Justin Mello has watched it all. And I went on the So Bros Power Hour on Friday. And he, he they said uh, one of the topics is give me one thing that people don't know about that they need to do this weekend. Like it's a book or a movie or whatever. Straight to F-Boy Island. It is the greatest show of our generation uh, it is amazing. It's 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 really a think piece and great study about human behavior in today's millennial world. God, you're you're just you're ramping it up to be a Faulkner novel. And when people get on there and realize that the only eight words said or we really have a connection or he's so deep, they're, <laughs> they're gonna be so disappointed. Listen, it's a trashy reality show, but I gotta say for HBO. It is the most docile HBO show I think I've ever watched. They intentionally didn't say the word fuckboy. They but wanted they to say, say fuck in the show, which is but hilarious. But they say fuck in the show, which is weird. <laughs> but I'm just going to spoil it for you. There's no open, like, it's not your typical HBO show. There's not, like, open sex going on or anything like that, which I was not expecting. So... Uh, just watch it. It's funny. It's a, a little unpredictable. It's actually a pretty good twist on on your typical like survivor, not survivor. Um, what's the bachelor, bachelor and bachelorette? Yeah. Well, it's great because they switch up the elimination process without giving too much away. It's not row ceremony after row ceremony after row right. ceremony. It is not very formulaic either. It, they the, the stuff that they do and the stuff they talk about. And Nikki Glaser is such a delight. And if you're not familiar with Nikki Glaser, uh, she does a couple of different podcasts and stuff. And she's a comedian, obviously, and a writer. And she's really, really hilarious. Um, but she is a fantastic host. And just um, her reactions and her words and everything, it's just, it's amazing. F-Boy, I, I'm telling you, check it out. If you don't if you have don't, HBO Max, yeah. grab yourself a, a, free, like a, a free trial or something just to watch it. You got to watch it. You can safely ditch Netflix more than likely and go <laughs> HBO Max. Because HBO Max right now is 10 times better. Apple TV is better. Hulu, I don't really watch any of their other shows, but they have other stuff tied with it. Discovery Plus is better. Netflix is really falling off a cliff. They really got some work mm. to do. Yeah, so it's funny you say that. And I, since we're off on the tangent, I'm just going to keep going. I was thinking about that yesterday. I, I had finished up work for a little while. I was going to have to work again last night, and I thought I wanted to stream something on the other screen on my computer while I worked, something I knew I could just play in the background, but not something I've watched over and over again, like The Office or something, right? So I was like, oh, Seinfeld is on Netflix. That's right. I can just throw that up and let that go. No. It's not on Netflix. It's and and they're arguing with Netflix about bringing it back sometime this fall. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I'm like, 
I pay for Netflix, and other than watching the the, the F one show, which is phenomenal, oh, yeah, I can't remember really the last cool. thing I watched on Netflix. The I think we're there. There's a new show um, with Sandra O, oh, where she's like a, a Harvard professor or something. That's supposed to be a dark comedy. It's getting rave reviews. It just came out, and then um, I guess. OBX, I guess, is pretty good. Um, I, I I try to get Lauren interested in watching it last night because I've heard so many good things. We may start that up. But the last thing, like you said, is the F1, and I probably would have never have found it if it wasn't for you. And by the way, F1 is like F boys. I guess football and other F words is really setting the trend for F shows because <laughs> it was awesome. So. Uh, Formula One is starting back up this weekend. I'm very excited. I watched the last uh, Hungarian race, which was a epic disaster, an epic finish. It was awesome. I'm not a NASCAR guy, so like this whole F1 thing was, I was like, oh, uh, you know, I mean, it's just racing going around track. No, there was drama everywhere. There are people wrecking. There is, it's just cutthroat and backstabbing and all this stuff. It's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's all it's it's intrigue because it's an incredible amount of money on the line and it's all these different teams that have spent so much money on these cars and the way that they will spend an R&D so much time trying to make one little part a little more aerodynamic so they go just a little bit faster and the drivers are all they're they're incredible but they're all prima donna assholes and it's just, it's everything you want it, it really is it's hard to compare to once you get hooked it's hard to get unhooked i love it well it has uh two seasons out right now that lead into last it leads into 20 this season right 2021 yes. technically um so when I turned on the Hungarian race, there was a couple different, you know, drivers and new places and everything like it's ruthless out there. You think you have a seat in a in a team with a car and then all of a sudden you could turn around and you're getting cut and they're hiring some young guy or some other guy. And then you don't have a seat or, you know, there's people switching teams all the time. It's very incestuous. It's very incestuous. Um, maybe we should talk about football because I feel like. I feel like if you're not into any of these things we just discussed, you're already turning this shit off. But then again, if you turn this podcast on at this point, what, what are we, multiple years in, four or five years yeah. in at this point, and you're still like, oh, my God, they're going off topic. What are you doing? You know, this you, is- you just got two show recommendations out of us. I mean, what more do you want? And I mean, two that's- fantastic shows. Yeah. yeah. Two fantastic shows. F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix. The name is Joe. Go check it out. Um, so the Titans. Had another, do I do, do I say big preseason win? That feels gross saying big preseason win, but it was a big win. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they put up a sizable number of points, but specific players again showed out and damn, I love seeing it. Uh, Let's start with Makai Sargent. Uh, What a nice running back, you know, tandem that is in the background or in the, in the backfield that. I was not expecting. I really was not expecting him to rush the way he was. Again, preseason, he's running against second and third teams, but still that drive when he gets the ball in his hands, I was really impressed with that. Yeah, he he's just better than the rest of the options, right? And obviously with the health issues continuing for Darrington Evans, which, listen, I think everybody realizes Darrington Evans is better than Makai Sargent, right? Like, we, we all know that. But the best ability is availability. We've seen it in play when it came to Marcus and quarterbacks and Vince Young and Jake Locker and all these these guys, right? We've seen it. There is no reason. A lot of people think that they won't keep four running backs. But I don't find any reason that Makai Sargent doesn't make this team if this team and this staff truly practices what it preaches, which is, your performance will dictate whether you make the team. And right now, you cannot keep Jerry Mc, Jeremy McNichols. Uh, in my 53-man roster projector, he was under, why are you still here? And uh, he averaged nine, or he averaged minus 1.8 yards per carry. He ended the night with minus nine yards, negative nine yards. That is ridiculous. He was not effective, and he's running behind the same offensive line that Makai Sargent's running behind. 
And Brian Hill's no, no more effective because he did 10 carries for 24 yards and 2.4 yards per carry. Whereas Makai Sargent, he forced nine missed tackles. He had three carries of 10 plus yards. He had 67 yards after contact to go along with his 78 total yards and averaged 4.9 yards per carry. And he caught a touchdown. So he's got good hands. And if you really watch the game, he's really good as a third down blocker. So he's every, he is your Darrington Evans plan B. If Darrington Evans can't go at the start of the season, or if Darrington Evans isn't really ready uh, or can't, you know, go in game five or game six. This is the guy that you come in that's a little bit different than Derrick Henry and can provide that third down relief and not hurt your team. And here's the thing. I know you say that, you know, can you really say it's a big preseason game? GM, former GMs and coaches and, you know, all these people that come on the radio that you hear, you know, radio show hosts or TV show hosts, it's just preseason, right? Everything is is given the asterisks or given the uh, disclaimer. Well, it is just preseason. Well, GMs and head coaches and current GMs and head coaches and staff and former ones, they realize the value in preseason because of the people that are getting snaps and it's what the individual players do. It's not necessarily what the team does. It's so the 34 to three doesn't really matter, right? That that is true. Right. Preseason wins, preseason losses don't matter. The score really doesn't matter. What matters is what the players that you need to fill out your back end of the roster, the players that you need to step up, or the players that you need to see develop, those are what you watch. So you're watching individual performances. And when you look at the individual performances over the last two weeks, Makai Sargent has had probably a top three preseason for this team and i think bakai is going to end up making this roster no and that's i'm glad i'm glad to see that and i'm really glad to hear you explain preseason that way because i don't know if it's the lack of last year not having a preseason or what necessarily it is maybe i'm just a complete junkie for football but I've enjoyed watching the preseason this year more than I ever have in the past. I've watched more full games, even outside of the Titans. I watched the full Saints-Jags game, which we'll get into in just a bit. But I've enjoyed watching individual players and have gotten more into watching individual players this year than I ever have in the past and seeing some individual performance out of like Sargent and Elijah Molden, who we're going to get to in just a second as well. Um it's great to see. Yeah, I actually had to pull up the Titans Bucks stats this morning because I didn't even remember the final score. I, I knew it was, I couldn't remember if the Bucks had scored a touchdown or not because, like you said, the, the final scores don't really matter. But I've really enjoyed this year watching individual components and have actually gotten enjoyment out of it. And I, I don't know if you call that a win for the NFL or not, but they've certainly had more of my attention this year. And I, and I really like. Um, really like the, the product this year. Let's, uh, I do want to talk about molding. Um, let's start with that bear crawl sack. This man is an animal. Uh, it, it literally looked like an animal uh, coming across the field to get that sack. I, just him in particular, and we'll get to the defense as a whole in just a second, but him in particular, what did you like seeing? What, what did he do for you? Well, no, no one had a better night than Elijah Molden. And and I get it. There's the emotional aspect of the Des Fitzpatrick touchdown. There is the great story behind Makai Sargent. But you're talking about a game. If they were giving out MVP awards or Nickelodeon uh, Valuable Player Awards, it would be definitely going to Elijah Molden. And I don't think I've ever seen a preseason defensive performance, not just in really a Titans jersey, but anywhere quite like that. And he made so many plays that displayed his, what made him a steal in the third round. He wasn't a steal in the third round because of, of his athleticism. He was a steal in the third round because of his elite traits as a cover corner or safety. Cause they are deploying him some as a safety and his technique, right? What, what you've always seen from Elijah Molden throughout this Titans training camp and rookie mini camp was that he always seemed to be around the ball just enough to make a play to knock it down, whether it's in one-on-ones or getting an interception here and there. And then this, it all got put together. First start, first game, 
was he was electric. I mean, what? How else can you describe him other than it was electric? He was everywhere, and there were plays that nobody's even talking about that he was involved in. There was a stop at the, I believe, in the first quarter, and there was a massive pile of where they stopped the running back behind the line, a massive pile of players. He's the one who initiated the stop. He's the one who was on the bottom of the pile who comes up last for the whole, for the Titans besides the running back. He was the, that's a, a play that doesn't really, it comes up on his stops because he did three defensive stops that whole game, but it kind of went unnoticed. Now, Justin Mello saw that he was the last one up in our group chat, but he had a forced fumble. Two pressures, including this the blackout sack, because apparently he just blacked out and just his body took over and instincts took over. <laughs> Three defensive stops and a pass breakup that led to an interception because he was in the right place at the right time, covering body and the receiver. Now, that's an individual performance you can build on. And if I'm Chris Jackson, I'm sweating a little bit because, you know, that guy, he Chris Jackson's had a great camp, but this is an undeniable, fantastic performance. And if he comes through on this last preseason game with a similar performance, I mean, you're talking about a guy that could be starting. And you know, in 2013, two defensive backs that are that he's been comped to compared to went in the third round, and that was Honey Badger. And that was Logan Ryan. And those are his two big comps and pro comps coming into this year. And it both those guys is you can see both those guys in all facets of his gameplay, which is amazing to see. And look, nobody thought that Molden was really ever going to last to the third round because he's really was a second round talent. And at the beginning of the year, he was a first round talent. Then he just starts sliding down because his athleticism's really not there. Well, he may be just fast enough in, for the NFL. And if you're just fast enough with his technique and talent, that's all you really need. So to me, I started searching yesterday, Lebowski. I'm a gambler plus 15,000 odds. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly or plus yeah, 15,000 know. defensive rookie of the year. Throw $5 on it, $750 if he wins. Now, listen, two defensive backs in the last six years have won it. Now, granted, there is this looming uh, Micah Parsons hype that is surrounding, but Micah Har Parsons has played in three preseason games, no sacks, no forced fumbles, no interceptions. But our boy here, you know, he's at least causing interceptions and has the other two, just saying. $5, $750. You, I mean, you know, it's a fiver. And, uh, and damn, based on that performance, uh, Saturday, I, yeah, I would absolutely think that if he try, if he keeps that motor up the rest of the year, he would definitely be at that conversation. I will, I'm certainly going to throw $5 on that. Um, God, I'm sorry. Complete blackout. It's like Wednesday morning. That feels like a Monday morning, but you didn't get a sack like Elijah Molden with your blackout. No, I did. I unfortunately did not. All I got with the blackout was dead audio. Um, Matt Barkley. I want to move on to that piece. As I told you the other day in chat that I wanted to compare him to Stalker, and you said, do you mean Woodside? So, yeah, it's, <laughs> Matt Barkley's performance was, was so unexpected, I guess, in my eyes that I was starting to forget who Logan Woodside was. But in all seriousness, um, all of a sudden, you've got a real quarterback battle for, for, the, uh, for the backup spot. Well, at least it looks like it, right? Um, right. I mean, from from all aspects of what you see on the field, it looks like there's a quarterback competition. Um, is there a quarterback competition? I'm not entirely convinced, but this is the closest that we've seen under the uh, Woodside era, I guess you could say, that there is someone actually able to push him for a spot because they brought in all kinds of scrubs before. And granted, Matt Barkley, before his preseason performances scrub, right? Just a guy. And you, you see it over in um, Buffalo where Mitch Trubisky lands in a great situation and he looks great in the preseason, right? Maybe this is that maybe Matt Barkley just needed to be around Todd Downing and Mike Vrabel and around these, this team. And 
he can be a competent backup, right? Here, here's the thing about it. And I think and this, is a, this is a theory. I think when Logan Woodside is in, they want to see more from the running backs than they do of Logan Woodside. They, this staff knows what they have in Logan Woodside. Because when you look at the dropbacks and the play calling of when Logan Woodside is in and Matt Barkley is in, it, it is starkly different. So right now, when you look at they, – they played – Logan Woodside played 32 snaps. Matt Barkley played 30. They called 10 passing plays for Logan Woodside, 17 for Matt Barkley. And, um, you know, he doubled the attempts of Logan Woodside – but Woodside had the better completion percentage and the better yards per attempt. Now, that it may not sound like that means a lot that there's a big difference, but that means that they're wanting to see more out of Matt Barkley. After the first preseason game, they said they gave Matt Barkley a limited playbook, and they will need to see more out of him. So when he's in the game, they're prone to call more passing plays that end up going down the field or end up completed. So in my mind, I'm thinking that they know what they have in Logan Woodside, so they want to see what the running backs can do. This is our time to see what the running backs can do. When Matt Barkley's in, they want to see what Matt Barkley can do. And I think that's why you see the little bit of disparity in the stats. And, and Matt Barkley looks really good. He's pushing the ball down the field and all that kind of stuff. So here's where I land on this. That's great. It depends on what's your style backup quarterback that you want. Do you want the safe Logan Woodside, who's not going to lose you a game, but may not be able to win it if Derrick Henry is not working? Or do you want Matt Barkley, who could probably lose you a game, but at least will take the chances to sling it? It's it's pretty much like Matt Stafford versus Ryan Tannehill. Um, Matt Stafford, you know, when I said that Ryan Tannehill was the engine of this offense, someone brought up Matt Stafford. Oh, if you brought Matt Stafford here, you get the same thing. Not necessarily, because Matt Stafford is not safe with the ball. He's a gunslinger, and he's explosive, but he's not efficient, whereas Ryan Tannehill is explosive and efficient with the ball. So with limited pass attempts that Matt Stafford would have, there's more opportunity to throw interceptions. Your interception rate's probably going to go up with less opportunities because he's going to be taking chances that he probably shouldn't be taking. So when Barkley's in a game, a guy who in his starts has thrown more interceptions than touchdowns, is that the guy that you want when it's all said and done? Or do you want to keep Logan Woodside, who's been in your system for a while and been a good soldier? So I, it's a competition, but I don't think it's a competition. I'm glad you ended on that, because if you had to choose right now, who would you keep? Uh, I And I do have this on my 53-man roster projection. I It would be Logan Woodside, but that's not who – I don't know if that's necessarily who I would keep. I'm a little undecided, but that's who I think the team keeps. Yes. Yeah. That's I'm the same way. I personally, I kind of would like to roll the dice a little bit with Matt Barkley, but I think the team would keep Logan Woodside and that's not a bad keep. You know, an that's, interesting note that just happened, by the way, AJ McCarron, of course, went down with injury and PK said that that would, that helps in Logan Woodside's favor, right? The because the Falcons, you know, need a backup quarterback. So obviously Logan Woodside would be that guy. Maybe they heard that the Titans aren't getting rid of Logan Woodside. So they went ahead and got Josh Rosen. You know, the other player that they got in for that backup quarterback competition with Josh Rosen, they tried out Blake Bortles. This team, the Atlanta Falcons and Art Smith chose Josh Rosen over Blake Bortles to back up the uh backup matt ryan so let me say this for those that have been and i've been one of them that think that blake bortles could beat logan woodside out for a job just remember the same kind of offense and the offensive guy who helped change all this chose josh fucking rosen over blake bortles i think we could put to rest that blake bortles is going to be a competent backup quarterback here in nashville that's Blake Bortles. Poor guy. Is it because he won't lock his truck and it gets stolen with his wallet inside? It, like, it must what? be. He's just a big, dumb lad. He couldn't stick on at Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, he they, they kept a different third quarterback. I mean, I think it's done for Blake Bortles. I, th- I think it's time to put this that Blake Bortles could beat out Logan Woodside or Matt Barkley. I don't even think Blake Bortles could beat out Matt Barkley. 
God, Blake Bortles is the next Brock Osweiler. He's going to be out of the league like by the end of this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, 2017, him and that Jags team were in the AFC championship, and we'll get to the Jags here in just a second. But uh, now he may not even – he's currently not even on a team, so he may not even be playing this year. So the Titans' defense as a whole, I'll tell you what I really liked seeing outside of Elijah Molden going apeshit, was the tip ball drill that the defense unit as a whole – was all over the damn ball. If that ball was coming out of someone's hands, they were on it with with hands out to grab it and were successful at that multiple times. They were just like a heat-seeking missile on the ball, which I loved to see. They never lost sight of where the damn ball was on the field. I really liked seeing that. We're going to get into what we want to see in the final preseason game, but I'm going to spoil a little bit of it for me. This defense in two games has made me feel a lot better, and I hope not prematurely, about the defense from last year. I, I really like seeing, and I'm going to call out Mike, who is retired but is so fucking active on Twitter. What are you doing, bro? He you know, tweeted out that, you know, dare I say the Titans defense looks coordinated, and they do. They look coordinated. Yeah, that that's the key word, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I – I think when I think when your players know what they're doing and have a clear understanding of what the game plan is, they can play with confidence. And that's what you're seeing as a team playing with confidence. And through two preseason games, Shane Bowen has shown. And listen, I, I like me, like most people, huge Shane Bowen detractor. But Shane Bowen has shown that he is a better defensive coordinator through two preseason games than Mike Frabel has shown that he's a bet as a defensive coordinator, his whole career, <laughs> like, like Frabel <laughs> and the Texans suck last year. He sucked as a defensive coordinator, as the de facto defensive coordinator. And now you got Shane Bowen coming in and the players are playing with confidence, but it also speaks to the job that John Robinson has done. You know, we, we probably will, record next week about cuts, you know, from the uh, 80 man roster, the 53 man roster, but this is a tough thing to cut this year because John Robinson has built together a, a probably the best Titans roster I've ever seen. Let, let's be honest here from top to bottom. He corrected his mistakes of last year of not having any depth on defense. And now there's too much, there's too much depth everywhere, which is great. But unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of good players that get cut when it comes down to it next week. But his job at building the back end of that roster was so has never been more apparent than these preseason games. But this last preseason game with Clayton Gathers and uh, Bradley McDougald and their performances, you know, of as backup safeties, it's you have to keep them. And they just signed them a few days earlier. These are veterans that have been in the league for a while now that were just sitting there and they brought them in boom. They're making plays and showing that they deserve to make this team. And to me, I, I just, this defense just looks so much better and it's such a relief and I get it. It's it's their depth players against depth, depth players, but the Titans needed some depth last year. You know, they needed a third uh, outside linebacker. They really needed a third and a fourth outside linebacker. They needed defensive tackles that they can roll in and give Jeffrey Simmons a little bit of a break. They needed backup safeties to be able to uh, rotate in and out. And don't forget, our cornerback depth was was really bad. I mean, we saw that the Tennessee Titans were having to start Jonathan Joseph at one point, you know. This is all stuff that you need to see in the preseason. It's the whole point of the preseason to see the depth. And what is apparent is that Shane Bowen knows how to call a defense. He knows how to get players psyched, get them pumped, get them instilled with confidence and knowledge so they can go out there and perform. And I, I'm still interested to see, because Shane Bowen in the first game was up in the booth. Second game, he's down on the field. So I'm interested to see where he lies. I don't think it really matters. I'm just interested to interested to see where he is more comfortable at what is your fear factor of 
at what point in the year we're going to owe Shea Bowen an apology. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm, I probably will owe Shane Bowen an apology by week two or week three. I mean, I, I, that's, I'm already gearing up for it because oh, there's only one more preseason game. And I'm just, I'm just saying, and it's really not that we owe Shane Bowen an apology. It's more that Mike Vrabel owes us an apology. That's where I stand. I like that Mike Vra- yeah, yeah, I'm a good I'm a spin doctor. Listen, they they owe a, Mike Vrabel owes us an apology. And he owes the players an apology and the media and pretty much everybody for how he downplayed this whole defensive coordinator thing last year. And now you're seeing, oh, a defensive coordinator and the guy that everybody shat on for all year last year is actually really good. Now that you've given him the reins, the fact that this team, the players, the fact that it's just mind boggling. Okay. First off, why is Kevin Byard not going up to someone saying, who is our defensive coordinator? Like (laughs) some of those guys, according to Buck really didn't know who Shane Bowen was (laughs) like, is that wild? That is wild to me. And that That is crazy. that to me, ultimately, Mike is going to owe Shane Bowen an apology because towards the end of the season, he came out with that real snarky comment of, okay, well, we got to put labels on things. Shane Bowen is your defensive coordinator. He's probably sitting over there in another room thinking, uh, bitch, what? I've been coordinating anything. You just attach my name to a defense that I'm not in charge of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, poor, poor Shane. I mean, Mike Frable owes like 30,000 people apologies for last year's defense that could have been easily fixed at any point during the year if you just named an actual defensive coordinator i I just again i can't emphasize enough that i'm really pleased as a unit at at how well they're operating together and i really really like seeing it um last but not least kicking um it appears we have a kicker uh sam picking so I'm pleased with this move. I I hate that the kicking competition kind of got cut down by um, an injury, but Ficken is, is, uh, you know, so far more than earned that job. And I'm glad to see it because that's just the one piece like kickers are, should almost be something that you shouldn't have to discuss. And for the last two seasons to see the Titans have to struggle with kicking issues was so damn painful. So I'm, I'm glad to see at least for now, it looks like they have a solid kicker going into the start of the damn season. Yeah. And, and the kicker's gotten preseason action. He's been, he's been in camp. So he's not a guy that's just coming in and not going to have some chemistry with the uh, holder or with the long snapper and all that kind of stuff. So, and it, maybe this is all credit to that kicking guru, James Wilhite or whatever that guy's name is, this, this kicking whisperer, whatever they hired. And, Maybe it's more credit to him than Sam Ficken, but I do. I hate it for Tucker McCann. Um, that that sucks that a player on a dirty play ended his chances of making an active roster. And yeah. it's not to say that McCann would have beat out Ficken because we saw Ficken he hit a 58-yard field goal this, this uh, past week, and he's been on fire. He had a little bit of a rough day yesterday, but previously he was fine. I'm not too worried about this kicking situation. And I'll be honest, I've said it on here numerous times. I wasn't worried to begin with. I mean, there is no need. I get it, kicking situations in the past, but Gostowski ended up being pretty damn near perfect, you know, towards the last like 10 games or something like that. So I'm just not, I wasn't too concerned regardless because Gostowski was always in the wings waiting. He's probably, you know, at a Starbucks in Green Hills right now, just waiting on the phone call. But it's Sam Fickenstein. So I do want to talk about, and I like the way you phrase this in our notes this week of what do you want to see out of the final preseason game versus the bears, you know, versus what you need to see. I, I, I like the way you put that. And the distinction to me is um, I, I, I think fans are getting too wrapped up in what they need to see. And I'm hearing this on a lot of radio shows of, you know, uh, we need to see the first team offense at least take a couple of steps. So we, you know, I don't, I want to get away from that. What What do you particularly want to see, Zach? I, I, I want to see, okay, so we're going up against Justin Fields, right? So right. I want to see how this team attacks Justin Fields. 
because here's the thing. We, we saw it in the AFC Championship game. We saw it in the divisional round playoffs last year. This team sometimes struggles with containing athletic quarterbacks. And Patrick Mahomes really isn't that fast and athletic. He's just a shifty, right? So Justin Fields, he's done he's done some good work in the pocket, and he's done some good work out of structure for the Chicago Bears. I want to see how the Tennessee Titans attack him and keep him either A, contained, B, knock him so hard his headband flies off, or prevents him from rushing the ball. Because you got to keep that in mind when you're going up against, you know, Lamar Jackson later, Patrick Mahomes later, Josh Allen later. What can this defense do to contain it? So I want to see how they put the pressure through the first two quarters, I think is all Justin Fields is playing. I want to see how they do that, right? Uh, is that going to be the outfit, the outside? God, I'm going to do that every fucking episode. I keep saying offensive linebackers. I do not know why. <laughs> is that going to be the outside linebackers doing a little bit more contained, setting the edges? Is that going to be sending pressure up the middle? This, this Bears def- offensive line is atrocious. So I want to see them. I want to see Justin Fields have a horrible game. And that is not because I'm tired of the unnecessary Justin Fields hype, which I am. It's because that's what I want to see from our defense every game. After letting Joe Burrow juke Jadavian Clowney out of his shoes to prevent a sack, I got to see this team contain and pressure athletic quarterback. So that's one thing that I want to see. So what's one thing you want to see? We'll, we'll go back and forth. I kind of, I really want to see kind of to elaborate on what you're hitting on, but it, from a larger picture of, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I continue. I want to see more of what this defense has to offer and what scheme they bring up against the bears. Whose offense has looked pretty rough for the first two preseason games. I want to see what the defense can exploit out of this team, out of this poor offensive line, out of, you know, Justin Fields and, uh, you know, Conan O'Brien back there in the backfield. I, I really want, I want to see more defensive dominance that we've seen the first couple of games. Again, the scores don't really matter, but it is hard to ignore that the Titans have held the last two teams to, they've both been single digit scores, correct? So I really want to see more of that because after last season, again, I think we're all hungry for better defensive play. And so far it's been pretty damn good defensive play. So I want to see more of it. And I want to see a little more, Molden. I, I really hope he has a good third preseason game and builds off that. Um, that is the biggest interest to me. You know, again, to kind of what we open the segment up with, what we need to see. I'm I'm really not interested in seeing much flash and dash out of the Titans offense. For me, it's all defensive side of the ball. I want to see that continue to build leading into this game. Well, I do I do want to see Makai Sargent have another good game and just yeah. definitively say, you guys can cut Jeremy McNichols. I'm, I'll be there for you guys. You don't have to worry about him. And I do want to see how the wide receivers shake out again because, you know, Marcus Johnson, everybody's assuming that he got the starter treatment. I think that's bullcrap that he got starter treatment and, and he's never translated anything that he's done in practice into a game. And I want to see Marcus Johnson. I want to see whatever, what everybody has seen in training camp. I want to see that in an actual game. And, and if, and if he's for real, got the starter treatment in game two, he needs to be out there in game three, because I don't, you're talking about a guy that's just never done it. And I want to see how the wide receivers shake out. I, I think anybody that should get, um, if there's anybody that should get starter treatment out of the back end of this wide receiver room, it's Chester Rogers or Nick Westbrook Aquina. Maybe both because you need to see what you got in Racy McMath. You need to see what you got in Des Fitzpatrick. If he could stack two games against each other or on top of each other, I still think you need to see Marcus Johnson practice. Practice warriors don't do it for me. And I, I'm, I'm very confused on a guy who through college and through his uh, NFL career has never gotten 375 yards receiving is getting starter treatment when he's never shown that he can do it. So I don't understand it. And I think that's a huge mistake on their part. If they're going to let Marcus Johnson sit out another game or not play considerable snaps 
unless he's injured or unless he's just battling through an injury similar to what Josh Reynolds is doing. We don't know. But I want to see what Mason Kinsey can do. If he could stack another game, Racy McMath can do, Des Fitzpatrick and Marcus Johnson can do because those guys are battling now for the last spot. Cameron Batson, I think, has done a great job in preseason and training camp, but I don't. I think with Chester Rogers there, you obviously can't keep Cam Batson. And I think Mason Kinsey has done better than Cameron Batson. And then Fred Brown, I've, I've seen some people really hype up that he's done a great job. I, I, I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't know what he's doing in practice, but again, practice, good practice warriors don't do it for me. See Trey McBride, great practice warrior. Doesn't never really did it in a game. Like Deontay Burnett, good practice warrior, never did it in a game. We we've seen this story a million times. So I'm interested to see how the wide receiver depth chart shakes out for this final preseason game. I got to point out one thing before we move on from this is um, Adam Schefter a couple of days ago, he tweeted out that AJ Brown was dealing with a, I'm going to phrase this wrong because I don't have the tweet in front of me, something about a lingering knee injury that's, that's kind of kept him out. Um, AJ Brown then tweeted out later that day that, Basically, people are just so people can just make things up now. He didn't call Shifter out by name, but we're assuming that's what he was talking about. And I also don't know if AJ Brown deleted that because this man deletes like 80% of his tweets like an hour later. But um, what do you read into that? Do you okay? Do you think Shefter is correct and AJ Brown is calling him a liar? Or I don't know, is there anything to read into that? What what do you take from that exchange? You're talking about a player that came off a knee injury to a double knee, a knee injury and double knee surgery. Okay. We all knew that he went through that and we all knew that, you know, he hasn't been practicing. They've been doing some load management and he had a knee, knee compression sleeve on, but was there ever any concern that he was not going to start week one? None of this was news. Like, I feel like this was news for maybe the national media because they're not paying attention to the Tennessee Titans per the norm, which isn't a big deal to me, but people ran with it. Like it was some kind of big news story. And to me, I'm just thinking, yeah, duh. Of course he's playing week one. Cause this is what he said. Titans wide receiver, AJ Brown expected to be ready for the start of this regular season, despite a knee injury that recently has sidelined him during recent practices per source. Now, Listen, the Tennessee Titans don't really discuss injuries. They don't even have injury reports. So is he hearing that, oh, yeah, they're they're sitting AJ because, you know, you know, because of his, a little knee issue or whatever, and then running with it? That kind of sounds like more realistic than, you know, AJ Brown, you know, damaged his knee and he, you know, there was he was in doubt that he was ever gonna play. You know, there was doubt. Like I don't know. Just the two sentences together just does just was a very duh tweet. Like, it's just not that big of a deal. I really don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I do want to point out um, our, you know, our buddy Chad Withrow had said yesterday on their show on Outkick 360 that um, that he is kind of concerned about the fact that we haven't seen Julio Jones practicing and, and gotten I, I, I'm my concern level is very small. I mean, it's, it's basically like, yeah, I would like to see more of it, but, but this is a player in Julio that we know. I mean, he specifically, I don't know if he had it written in his contract or not in Atlanta. I had heard that he did that. He wanted to limit his practice or limit, basically make himself available when he wanted to make himself available to practice. That's, that's why my concern level is low. Yeah. You know, here's the thing with that. And, and Chad's not alone among national media or even fans and feeling that way. I I feel the majority, I think the majority feel that way, but here's the thing. It's Julio fucking Jones. He's a hall of fame wide receiver. And listen, he practiced a lot more with the Falcons than he did with the Tennessee Titans so far. Um, Here's the thing. It never helped Matt Ryan not go to Julio Jones because there's times where Matt Ryan either missed Julio Jones or overlooked Julio Jones and went to somewhere else when he should have just gone to Julio. Julio has been in this offense before. It's 2016 season when they went to the Super Bowl was the Shanahan offense. This is what that is. So I'm not worried about him knowing the playbook or understanding the terminology. And Ryan Tannehill is a better passer than Matt Ryan 
currently in his current form. And I think with A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry and Julio Jones not being the focal point of opposing defenses, the sole focal point, that that's going to help too. Like, if if this was – okay, if we never traded for Julio Jones and Josh Reynolds was still going through his, you know, I got my shoulder hurt, my Achilles is hurt, you're only getting me a couple of practices a week. Yeah, granted Josh Reynolds has been in this offense before, but Josh Reynolds is not Julio Jones when it comes to route running and timing and catching the ball. I'd be way more concerned if this was Josh Reynolds versus Julio Jones. But Josh Reynolds is a wide receiver three. Julio Jones is a wide receiver 1B. So I'm just not too concerned. I would like to see it. Like it would be fun to see Julio Jones catch a touchdown pass in preseason just to, you know, just for the shits and giggles. But it's not something that heading into week one with we're two and a half weeks away, heading into week one, that I'm concerned that a guy who's not known for practicing anyway is not practicing. Let's talk about Jacksonville <laughs> because there needs to be a conversation about Jacksonville. Again, it is just preseason, but damn, they look rough. Now, if you look at the box score, and again, this is ultimately why scores don't matter. You would say, okay, they only lost to the Saints by two points. Man, the the majority of those damn points, those 18 points, came in the last few minutes of that game when the Saints had all but given up. So I just can't get over how uncoordinated Jacksonville looks. And and the, the really the just the the Schoenfraud, I guess is the 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 word I'm looking for of let me see if I can pull up this one tweet I had about the, literally the announcer said, Urban said the offense a week ago was way too vanilla. This is during the game that, that, uh, that this is being said as the Jags are ripping off a three and out with two crap runs and then a, a, a outplay and a, an out throw right to the flat. That was five yards behind the first down marker and was incomplete. Anyway, complete vanilla offense. Why does he saying that Urban said it was too vanilla? Urban on the sidelines looking dejected. Uh, it just was everything you wanted if you don't like the Jags, but they look bad. And then you top it off, losing their damn rookie running back for the season. The Jags, they already don't look great. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what everybody expected ex except for Urban Meyer, I think, right? <laughs> because I also saw a tweet that says everybody else has been expecting – four to five wins out of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but he was coming in probably thinking he was going to win 11 because that's what he's used to at the college level. Um, yeah, it's, it's exactly what we thought. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at this team. The, they only had two, I believe two of their starters in on the offensive line. And maybe that will help when they get the, the rest of the offensive line in maybe, um, uh, Trevor Lawrence won't get pressured 12 times because he got pressured 12 times uh, throughout that whole game. You know, however, he didn't throw any big time throws. He he had a turnover worthy kind of play. I mean, granted, I mean, I just yards per attempt was 4.9. I'm just looking at all this and I'm just thinking, look, I know Trevor Lawrence has talent. But he went to the worst situation, and I said it numerous times. Let's Trevor Lawrence please demand a trade before the draft starts because pull an Eli Manning, get out of Jacksonville because this was doomed from the beginning. You have Daryl Bevel there, you have um, Brian Schottenheimer there. They both suck, and this is the kind of offense that you're going to see. And now that they're Maybe we're kind of seeing why they haven't really committed to him as starting quarterback. I still obviously believe that it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. But maybe inside their house, they're kind of like, ah, we don't know if we're really ready to throw him out there just quite yet. And maybe yeah. they may sit him for a little bit. But the off full, full offensive line could change. You know, Marvin Jones walked away banged up too, and that's your number one wide receiver down there. And he's highly, vastly underrated. And now maybe they're just going to turn around and just give the feed the ball to James Robinson like they did last year, which they should have done. Should never instead of investing Travis Etienne in with the twenty fifth overall pick, they should have got an offensive lineman. 
or they should have got a weapon. Not this guy that's a running back that you could have got probably in the second round. So, I mean, do I think it's going to be the that bad every game? No, but it's going to be pretty close. And I don't know right now if Urban Meyer sticks with the Jacksonville Jaguars after this year. That's what I'm kind of thinking is that maybe we overshot it by saying that he's going to yeah. be here for two years or 1.5. I think he may just be here for one year because this is he's getting his ass beat in by the NFL, I guess, schedule, the NFL uh, a talent across the board. This isn't. This is going to be a grueling 17-game season for him that he's going to be like, no, nah, I'm out. This is not what I thought it was. And he had, Urban had made a quote at some point this year, you know, that he, he needs to look at the NFL about, like, you know, we're playing Alabama every week. And all I could think was Alabama would be the worst team you'd be playing every week. I mean, they're <laughs> you're, you're playing way above that. It was written all over his face that the man always has terrible body language when he's basically trying to, uh, I, I guess, not tell a lie is is um, is the not the correct way to put it. But when he's trying to hide his poker face on the sideline, he doesn't do a good job of it. But you're right. We may have overshot it. There's a there's a very good chance that he could just straight up quit after year one. I would put it at 20 percent right now. Yeah. And, it's, and it's trending upwards with every game. Can we discuss the fact it really drives me nuts that the media does this? And I've seen so many tweets over the last couple of days. I was sitting here trying to find one for me and Rappaport. Now I can't find it, but it was essentially like uh, that Jameis Winston appears to have the upper hand in the quarterback battle. Did they watch any snap of this fucking game with Taysom Hill, quote, throwing the ball? Taysom Hill looks like complete ass. As a quarterback, he continues to look like ass as a quarterback. I don't know. I mean, listen, I've had more fun over the last couple of years picking at Jameis Winston, but Jameis Winston looked lights out the better quarterback. How is this a quarterback, quote, competent? There is no competition. If they start Taysom Hill any game this year, other than for a Jameis Winston injury, it's a complete disgrace. Fully agree. And when Jameis Winston decided to fix his eyesight and go from being blind to being able to see when he got those eye implants, I told everybody that you were going to get a good Jameis Winston and Jameis Winston MVP. And listen, I don't get any of these workout videos. I'm still on the fence, whether they're actually real or if they're really him just playing to it and just making, and just reeling everybody in, but they're working. (laughs) Like, I yeah. don't get it. But it's all about the eyesight. I mean, I expected Jameis Winston to overtake Drew Brees or fill in for Drew Brees when he went down for an injury, but they stuck with Taysom Hill. I don't know the reason why that was. But Jameis Winston is going to have a damn good year when he can see with 2020 vision. Like, he's he was blind. Legally blind <laughs> that when he was throwing uh, 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. And I think what you're going to see is Sean Payton take Jameis Winston and turn him into a, a kind of a similar version of Drew Brees as far as stat-wise go. He may not be as efficient as Drew Brees, but I, I've been saying all year that everybody's sleeping on the Saints because Drew Brees has gone into, oh, it's Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill. Listen, it's Jameis Winston – with eyesight and is uh, still a great Saints defense. And it's Jameis Winston with Marquez Calloway, with um, Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, a good offensive line. This is going to be a good Jameis Winston. And for fantasy purposes, if you're Jameis Winston is sometimes going undrafted. Jameis Winston is going to be a top 12 fantasy quarterback and you better buy some Jameis Winston shares while you can, because if your drafts after this next preseason game, you may not uh, have a good shot at him. So draft him while you can, because his ADP is almost borderline undraftable, which is insane. And also be drafting Marquez Callaway. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up Marquez Callaway because I wanted to take a slight shot at balls fans. As we get to the end of this podcast of, Yet another Tennessee ball that unfortunately just had to deal with just 
terrible coaching comes out the NFL and starts playing their ass off for of all teams, the saints, right? But Marquez Callaway, that could be the Jameis Winston connection all year. And if it looks anything like it did in preseason, holy shit, the saints have a damn good wide receiver connection there. And Marquez Callaway could be a great deep threat. I love seeing that. I, that first catch he even freaked out or freaked out. He fooled the announcers and the camera. They were ready to call it incomplete. Oh, they're going to throw a flag for pass interference. And Dan doesn't pop up at the end zone with the ball. What a hell yeah. of a catch. It was, it was, it was fantastic. And I'm excited to see what he can do. I, I will be keeping an eye on him in fantasy drafts, seeing where I can get him and stuff, because that's the guy that you uh, definitely want to uh, be picking up and drafting. All right. This last thing I got before we go, I got to throw this at you because I, I think I threw it up in chat a couple of days ago, but I, I got busy and didn't elaborate on it. But reporters like Rappaport and Schefter and all that, we know that they have deep, deep ties with not only teams, but with agents. But when I see Ian Rappaport tweet something like this, agent news, David Cantor and GSE worldwide have joined forces, a statement in the first paragraph. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's crap. I am tremendously excited to announce that it is today DEC, DEC management, our clients and their families will be joining the lead and talent agency representation in sports mortgage C GSC worldwide. Did anything I just say to you, Zach, make any fucking sense? Do you know who any of these people are? I do not. And I, like, nor, do, nor do I care. Nor do I care. That's what kills me when you see someone like Ian Rappaport. To me, when I see Rappaport tweet something like this up, and if I'm out of line, please tell me. When I see Rappaport tweet something like this out, it's basically to me as a, it's an agent reminding Rappaport, bitch, we toss you a lot of news. So you are going to tweet out our fucking agency merger. I, I've never heard of these people. Maybe I should since we have a football podcast. I don't know who DEC is. I don't know who GSC is. And all the comments under it are basically the same thing. People are under it saying, how do I meet? How do I mute agency news on Twitter? Like, it just it just seems gross to to see someone like Rappaport tweet this out. It's it's agency news. No one fucking cares other than you, the players, and that agency. Yeah, I, I don't get it, and I don't even know if really the players care. They only care if their right. agent's still employed, right? Or who's who's the next agent that I'm going to have? Like, I I think it's kind of a silly tweet. I understand the purpose behind it because it technically is sports news. But it's not really news that anybody cares about. And, you know, obviously, I think you're you hit it the nail on the head. It's because, you know, we feed you stuff. You got to feed us stuff. But speaking of agency news, what about the report from The Athletic where they surveyed a ton of agents talking about GMs and they just trash the Houston Texans? Oh, shit. I'm so glad you brought that up. I left that off my notes for today. That was beautiful. I God, I can't find it now. I don't want to scramble with dead audio, but paraphrasing the athletic basically says like, what a disaster. Jack Easterby's a joke. Someone made the, the Tommy boy reference with, with uh, Cal. Oh, that's painful. I mean, and I, I think I, I believe it because I want to believe it, I got but, it. Here's but what it's it dead on. Which team has had the most disappointing off season, 11 votes, the Texans. Jack Easterby is a train wreck, and I know a lot of league folks think Cal McNair is Tommy Boy, which helps explain how Easterby happened. Then there's Deshaun Watson, dot, dot, dot. Regardless, nobody trusts Easterby. On paper, a wreck. Everything that seemingly could go wrong went wrong, starting with the quarterback. One guy goes, where do I start? And then whoever did their preseason game, Talked about the tremendous job the announcer did, the tremendous job that Nick Casario has done with this team and was one of the best off-seasons that he's ever seen in the NFL. That is ridiculous I, for someone to say that guy should be fired. Yeah. <laughs> he should be fired for saying that. Is that is my – I'm not going to lie. that They play – Houston and Jags, they play week one, right? I think they have a, a week one opening matchup against each other. If I'm remembering that correctly – that might be a must-watch game for me. I, I, I'm going to have to figure out how to watch that whole thing and not on Red Zone because I kind of just want to see just how ugly it can get between those two teams. Yeah, I think at some point, Jack Easterby is going to try to get under center. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> it's his ultimate goal. Um, we have crammed a lot into this podcast today. So 
I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we are going to continue to do this for you week in and week out. Zach, coming up for the regular season, we're going to start recording and releasing on Tuesdays again. That, correct. That's correct. Yeah, we'll so, probably start. Maybe we'll start next week to get on Tuesday yeah. or the week after. We'll do it sometime in the break. Yeah, just to let you know, we, we're going to, that, you know, that way we're not coming to you in the middle of the week. We'll, we'll have it for you early in the week. So we'll be moving to Tuesdays here coming up shortly. Um, but thank you all, as always, for tuning in. It's football and other F words. It's Zach. It's Michael. And you've just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.